Well, welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome, everybody, watch online, too. Thanks for being with us. Uh, my name's Jeff. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to do that, to say hi to you. So if you find me after service and give me 100 bucks, I'll shake your hand. I'm joking. But I'd love to connect with you guys a little bit and say hi. Uh, we're in a series right now that we call With or Without, and we're talking about this idea of things I want with me in life, I want to include in my life and things I need to be without, right? Things I want to export out of my life. And of course, we're looking at the Bible, God's word, and allowing God to define that for us. What would God say is an important thing to import into my life? What would he say is an important thing to export out of my life? And uh, how do I kind of figure that out a little bit? Uh, We started this conversation last weekend, and This series is a little unique at Grace in that uh, it's going to be the most helpful for you if you stay up to speed with it some, because it's going to kind of build on each other. Uh, Each weekend is going to build on the last one. And so last weekend, that conversation is really, really important. Uh, And it's out there. It's it's online. You can get a podcast. You can watch it off the app, all those kind of things if you want to. But the the gist of it was this. We looked at the book of James, and the apostle James uh, taught us that in order to make changes in our lives, we have to go to God's word for that, right? So he, he uses this metaphor. He says, the Bible, God's word, acts like a mirror in, in for me. And when I look at my life in the mirror, what it's gonna do is the word of God is gonna reflect back to me the reality of who I am and who God is and what God is like. And the Bible says that if I, if I look in the mirror and walk away, forget what I look like, and I just hear the word, I don't do it, then it's kind of useless. But if I look in the mirror and look intently into the perfect law of truth, it can bring about life change. It will give me spiritual life. And we learn that the key to all of it is this, is that when I look in the mirror and I look intently and God says something to me in essence through his word, that what I have to do is humbly accept the word of God planted in me. So I'm not rationalizing anymore. I'm not justifying. I'm not ignoring the Bible, but I'm accepting it. I'm kind of pulling my pride down and I'm accepting what God says as truth. And then asking the question, not how do I get around it or do I, do I even want to accept that or not? I'm asking the question, how do I implement that and how do I actually weave that into my life? So the key to life change is that, right? The key to life change is looking at the mirror, getting the reality, not my opinion, my life experiences, what's normal to me. The key is getting the reality of where I'm at and then allowing God to import that change into me. Now, when we talk about change, I'm talking about deep change. So I'm not talking about positive thinking or like life improvement or like, you know, the best version of me kind of change. You, you can muster that up on your own if, it, if you want to. I'm talking about change that is in the heart and it's connected to the soul, spiritual change. And the Bible tells us that it's out of the heart, out of the soul, that all of life springs. It's the wellspring of life. So if my heart is off kilter, or if my heart is polluted by sin or secrets or lie, then the rest of my life will follow kind of where my heart is anchored at. And in order to change my heart, I have to do some some deep work in order to do that. My experience has been this. Um, 
my experience in my own life and then uh, 25 years of being a pastor, my experience is this, that when it comes to deep life change, you have to be motivated to do that, okay? Uh, and usually that motivation is not just a recognition of truth. So there's this old phrase in the church world, God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. That's rarely true, right? So usually God says it, I hear it, and I'll consider whether I wanna be a part of it or not, right? It's usually the way we actually think. What happens when we are ready to change, my experience is usually there's some level of pain that has come into our life where I look and I say, this hurts, or this is so frustrating that it hurts, or I'm tired of hurting people that I love. There's some level of pain that comes into my life where I will look and say, enough's enough. I'm done. I don't wanna go back there. We have to break out of these cycles. Our relationship is not gonna survive another round of this, right? So there's something deep that happens that would cause us to look deep within and say, in essence, I don't care what it takes. I just don't want that to happen again. And I want to break out of these cycles and not repeat them. And that's, that's where I, I warned you kind of last week. I'm kind of warning you again this week. Like this, these conversations are going to get a little bit ouchy because so, sometimes when I look into the mirror, I'm going to see stuff I don't like. I'm going to see stuff I don't want to see. Like I, I would almost rather live in denial than deal with that. And so God's going to press in hard, and, and you're going to have to decide what do you do with that? Do you, are you humbly accept the word of God planted in you, or will you rationalize it, justify it, push it away, ignore it, right? So it's going to be ouchy. Now, if you're watching online, you can just pretend there's a bad internet connection or you lost contact, whatever. If you're in here, if you're in the room and you say something, we'll tase you and drag you out. So you're kind of stuck, right? So, <clears throat> but I just want you to know that, like, we're not talking about like general healthy living. We're not talking about positive thinking. We're not talking about life improvement. We're talking about a renewal or a resurrection of the soul. And that's gonna hit deep and it's gonna hit a little bit hard, not because God's being a jerk. The mirror doesn't have an agenda. The mirror isn't offering an opinion. It's just showing you what the deal is. And accepting that for what it is, is sometimes a, a, a hard thing. Now, the reason that this is important is because to actually change, I have to get to my, my heart. And what I wanna kind of put on the table today, I think there's some reasons why we wind up in these cycles. And this is what we're gonna talk about for the next few weeks. And the first reason I, I wanna kind of put out there today is, is this idea. One of the reasons why we wind up in the cycles that we wind up in is because we believe lies and we operate our life off of those lies. So kind of the, kind of the question I'm throwing out is this, what if, what if my why is driven by my lie? What if there is something that you've come to believe that is against what God says, but it's familiar and, and it's close by? What if, that, what if the reason why I'm in this pain or why I'm in this cycle or why this relationship broke down again or why I do this thing I swore I would never do or why I hate this part of my life, what if the why is driven by a lie? 
if we could identify that lie, expose it and bring it into the light, allow God, invite God into that, could we get a different outcome or could we break a cycle that we don't want to be in? What if my why is driven by my lie? Now, this is, this is a big deal because the reason this is not like self-improvement, positive thinking, that kind of stuff, is because of where lies come from, all right? This is huge, ready? Lies don't come from the head, they come from the heart. Lies don't come from the head, they come from the heart. When I believe something enough that it's governing me, almost to the point that I, I may not even realize it's governing me, that's not something that got in your head, that's something that got in your heart. And the Bible would say this, that when you deal with a lie, you must deal with it for what it is. It is a spiritual issue. It is not an emotional one, an environmental one, or a, a mental one. It's a spiritual one. In fact, Jesus said this he, about lies. He's talking about them in John chapter 8. He says, the devil, the devil is the one. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of Lies. When I believe a lie and it locks into my heart, it locks into my life, that lie originated from Satan. It didn't originate from my thought, my environment, or my upbringing. The lie originated from Satan. That's why lies lock into the heart. They don't just lock into the brain. So you can't just fix them through the brain, right? When you believe a lie, if your why is driven by your lie, when you, when you are in that scenario, you can go to counseling all day long. <clears throat> and I am a very big proponent of counseling. I, I think it's wonderful. I've gone, Heidi and I go once in a while, to tune-up our marriage. I am all about counseling. But a counselor cannot fix your heart. Uh, a new set of self-exercise cannot fix your heart. Happiness cannot fix your heart. The heart has to be resurrected. And only God can do that. Only Christ can weave out a lie that originated from the mouth and the mind of, of the evil one. So these become spiritual issues, not emotional or environmental issues, right? And if my why is driven by my lie, that lie originated with the evil one, and that lie is meant to steal, kill, and destroy me. Because God, Satan hates everything God loves. Okay, God loves you, Satan hates your guts. So if my lie is driven by my, if my why is driven by my lie, I have to go to the heart to deal with that and to understand it, okay? So could it be that the cycle you're in, the frustration you're having, the pain that is happening in your life or you're causing others, could it be because you believe a lie and you've been operating off of that? Now, <clears throat> I need to put some skin on this for you. So uh, I wanna illustrate it. I, I'm not gonna tell your lies and your secrets, but I know them, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you about my lie, okay? I wanna, I wanna put a skin on this for, for you. So I have a lie. By the way, you have, you have a lie too, but here's my lie. I have a lie that I picked up somewhere when I was a kid. Nobody ever sat down and told it to me. I don't remember the moment that I picked it up. I don't know how I picked it up, but somewhere 
in my life experiences, in my environment, Satan knowing my weaknesses and my personality, the things I would be most vulnerable to, tempted me with this and I grabbed it and I picked up this lie. And here's the lie, it governed my life for over 30 years. Here's the lie that I picked up and operated by. My lie was this, that my value is found in my performance. I picked that lie up and I believed it and I ran off of it. That my value is found in my performance. If I can perform at a high enough level, you will value me, you will celebrate me, you will even love me if I can impress you enough. And somewhere in my life, that lie came across my radar in my individuality and my sinfulness and my weakness and my humanity I grabbed hold of that lie, it locked in and it governed my life. That lie started to really take hold when I was in high school. Uh, when you, if you came into my bedroom in high school, you would have looked to the left and there was a whole wall in my room of plaques, ribbons, certificates, and trophies. If there was a trophy or a plaque or a ribbon that could be earned, I was gonna earn it. I was gonna smash your face to beat you to that trophy because I believe that if I performed and I got that trophy, it gave me value. I hung all those things in my room. I looked at them every night. I'd, fall, I'd literally fall asleep looking at my trophy wall every night because I would look and say, I succeeded, therefore I am valuable. I must win. I want that trophy. If you win that trophy, you could be my best friend. If you won that trophy as my best friend, I wasn't happy for you. I was out to get you, right? I was going to beat you to the plaque next year, right? Because I believe that I gain value through performing. That lie went then with me into college. And then in college, it turned into how I approach relationships, So I was gonna be the best at relationships. If I was your friend, I was gonna be the best friend you ever had. You were gonna wonder how you ever existed without me being your friend, right? When I met Heidi, it went into my relationship with Heidi. And I would look at Heidi and I didn't, I I wanted to love Heidi, I do love Heidi and she loved me and, and all the rest, but I also wanted her to be impressed with me. So I wanted Heidi to be convinced that there was not a greater human being on planet earth that she could possibly connect her life to than me. And physically that's obvious, but I'm I'm talking about like all the other stuff, right? So I wanted to impress her and I needed her to be impressed with me because if Heidi was impressed with me and was awestruck by me, that meant she valued me, that meant she loved me, see? Now we go into life and God called me into ministry and I was certain that he called me into ministry after I accepted him when I was a junior in college. Well, now I got to function in the church that way because I got to win. So I got to be the best speaker. I got to be the best leader. I was a youth pastor. I had to have the biggest youth group in the country and there were plaques and trophies available. I had to get them. I had to run the gamut of those. I'd get them all right? Because I had to, because I wasn't valuable to God if I wasn't performing at these very, very high levels. Now, this is what happens. When you believe that lie, your lie always has a runway and you're going to run out of that runway. It always has a shelf life to it. And what happens is this, my lie was about performance. I can only perform to a, I have a ceiling, I can only do so much. I can only be impressive in so many ways. I can only impress so many people. I can, there's a ceiling to it. What happened is my lie started to ricochet on me because I hit my ceiling. 
And suddenly Heidi, I don't know what her problem is, but after she was married to me for five or six years, she wasn't nearly as impressed with me as she should have been. <laughs> right? Because I was winning and you should be impressed by how much I'm winning. And I know you're here alone with the kids, but you got to be alone with the kids because I'm winning. You should be happy to be alone with the kids because I'm winning. See? And now she's not as impressed with me, which means she doesn't love me because she's not celebrating me, which means I'm not valuable. Suddenly I got kids and my children had better perform. You're a bogue, that means you win. See, you had better perform because you have to make, I gotta be the number one dad on top of everything else. So you better hit my standards and you better perform and you better, and now I got you guys and you guys are my tickets to trophies. See, because I got to have the biggest church and the best church and the fastest growing church and the largest church in the country and all these kind of things. And you, you got you to gotta show up, people, because I have to be valuable. And all of a sudden, my lie ricocheted on me. And now I'm not leading people, I'm using people. And now I'm not loving people, I'm using people. And now I'm not looking out for someone else's best interest. They have to be a tool to perform for me. See, it's all based off of a lie. It's based off of a lie that my value is found in my performance and I believed that lie. Now, you've got your own. I'm just telling you about mine. You've got your own lie and I don't even know what it is. You may not know, but you, you might have one and it might be the reason you might be in the cycles that you're in is because your, your why might be driven by your lie. That you, every time you get in a bind or every time you want to define something, you go back to your lie and you double down on it and you've just run out of runway with your lie. And now it's ricocheting on you and your lie works against you more and more and more and more and more. You, you may believe that you're not worthy of devotion. Your dad might've taught you that when he, when he ducked out when you were a kid. You might believe you have to earn God's love. Some pastor, some church somewhere might have told you that because the reason you didn't get into the college you didn't get into is because you, you were drinking. See, You might believe that you are your victimhood. Your whole life, this happened to you as a kid and that has defined you your whole life. Somebody used my body when I was a child and I believe that my body now is something to be used. And what the problem is I'm running out of youth, I'm running out of beauty. I don't know how to use my body the way that I used to use my body to get the affection that I need. You have a lie, I just don't know your lie. But we all have a lie and you might be surprised to think about, man, is my why driven by my lie? Is the reason that I'm always here again and again and again because I keep going back to this thing trying to make it work when it was never gonna work in the first place because it comes from the heart of the evil one and really has nothing to do with the heart of God. Now, this is what happened in my life. When I was in my mid-30s, my lie started to surface. My lie started to surface. Ready? You got to catch this. This is, this is very important. It started to surface because I started to look in the mirror specifically about my lie and the mirror of God's word started to expose my lie. Because I thought this, if I perform, if I perform and I perform for God, then God's gonna bless me. That's what everybody says, right? 
If I do all the right things for God, God does all the right things for me. And so God, you gotta bless me. You gotta make me famous and you gotta make me rich. And, and the guys who are really, they got the biggest churches and they get paid a crazy amount and, and the, the people give them free trucks and jet airplanes. I don't want a jet airplane, but I, I'd be pretty open to the truck to be honest with you, but like, like all, all that kind of stuff, right? It, it, what, what's going on, God? Because people aren't doing this for me. In fact, some of these people hate my guts, and I got to perform, I got to get them to like me, but they hate me and they're critical of me. And all of a sudden now I'm preaching sermons to make you happy. I don't care what everybody thinks. I care if that guy nods his head. And all of a sudden I'm going out of my way and I'm backing off things in the scripture. I'm leaning into these other things and I need to satisfy this lie. And this whole thing kind of hit a crisis in my life. I thought, Lord, I don't Have you not called me to do this? Cause these people hate me. Things aren't going away. All these people that I thought were my friends are stabbing me in the back and leaving my church suddenly. And I'm tormented by the fact that they don't think I'm great. So I started to look in the mirror of God's word to find out what the deal was. And all of a sudden the mirror started to expose my lie. Things like this. I looked in the Bible and Jesus said these weird things I'd never really thought about in this context before. He said things like this. He said, people will hate you for loving me. Jeff, you wanna know the reality of good, effective ministry? People are gonna hate your guts for it. He said things like this. He said, you're going to be persecuted for righteousness. Nobody's going to applaud you for doing what's right. They're going to hate you for it. In fact, if you invert the logic, it's fascinating. You could say this. If I'm not being persecuted, it might be because I'm not living righteously. If nobody criticizes my faith, it might be because I'm not living by it. See? Things like this. Paul says, why would you be surprised when these things happen to you. The normal thing for someone who is following Christ is to be hated and to be put down and, and, and people to stand against them. All of a sudden, my lie is being exposed. Wait a minute, I believed that if I was being affected, I, effective, I would be valued, I'd be celebrated, I'd be loved. Jesus says... If you want to be like me, you're not going to get rich off of it. I didn't have any place to lay my head. Why, why would you have a jet? I, if, if you want to gain the world, if you want to be rich and famous and a big deal, Jeff, you might just lose your soul in the process. And all of a sudden, as I gaze into the mirror of God's word, God started to expose my lie. He surfaced it. And I started to realize, wait a minute, I'm believing something that's not true, right? And I need, to, I need to take this lie and get it out of my heart and I need to import the truth of God so that I can live the life and pursue the calling that God has placed on me and each one of us, right? It's fascinating what Jesus says about this. He's actually in an argument with these guys called the Pharisees about what is true and what's not. And he's saying to them, you, you've buried truth by all these laws and rules. You buried the truth under all these lies. In the middle of that conversation, he says something fascinating. He says, if you hold to my teaching, 
You are, my, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. When I heard that years ago, I would hear it like this. I'd hear it as a finger wag. If you would hold to my teaching, you would know the truth and the truth will set you free, dummy. Why don't you hold to my teaching? What's your problem? You're probably not really my disciple because you don't even hold to my teaching. That's how I would hear that. Jesus in this context and in this tone isn't wagging his finger at us. He's assuring us of something. He, he would look at us maybe and say it this way. If you want to know if you're really my disciple or not, there's a way that you can, you can figure it out. When you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple because you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. Something has happened to you if you become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have repented of your sins and asked for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that not only are your sins forgiven, but something supernatural happens within you. You are indwelt with or filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help you and I distinguish what is true. Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and he says, listen, here's the problem with you guys. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not actually my followers. My followers can know truth and hold to it. They can recognize truth. They've not been able to recognize truth before. They were blinded in their sin. They were lost in their darkness. But my followers, my real disciples, they can know the truth. They can hold on to the truth. And that truth is going to set them free. Jesus would look at us and say, guys, listen, your lie is going to drive you. But you have, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new power. Later on, Paul is going to call it a divine power. You have a power within you to see what is true, to recognize it, and to take hold of it. Colossians says you have the mind of Christ. You can understand the things that God teaches in the Bible because of the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And my disciples are people, it's not a finger wag, it's a definition. My, my disciples are people who are marked by that idea that they're looking for truth. They don't want to rationalize truth. They don't want to complicate truth. They don't want to find ways to push truth away from them. They are marked as people who hold on to it when they find it. And the truth becomes the definer of who they are. And that truth is going to set them free. When I looked into the mirror, trying to figure out why I'm like this, the mirror reflected back to me the truth of Christ. And then I'm left with the decision. Do I humbly accept the word of God planted in me and hold on to the truth? Or do I discount the truth? Here's the reason why that verse doesn't apply to me. Do I rationalize the truth? I do most of that. I mean, come on, God, you're getting legalistic. Do I justify my own truth? You know, the way that I read that verse is, or do I recognize it, grab it, and hold on to it because I'm desperately motivated to be free? Now, guys, the truth, the truth sounds exciting until you realize that I have to let it displace my lie. Because my lie is a friend. My lie is a life companion. My lie feels comfortable and right to me. 
right? To hold on to something that I'm unfamiliar with. To hold on to something that actually that is not as time-tested in my life as my lie is, is a very foreign feeling. I actually believe that's part of why Jesus says, hold on to it. Take hold of it, he says in another part of scripture. You got to get a grip on that thing because it's going to feel foreign. If it has not yet been discovered, it has not yet been implemented into your life. And it's fascinating what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you take hold of that truth and then you're actually gonna have to kind of go through like this, this process of, of self-discipline a little bit because that it's gonna feel so weird to take hold of that. It's not gonna feel instinctual. What feels instinctual is operating in my lie. So to start operating in the truth, I had to put in like this, this little bit of self-discipline. Paul calls it taking your thoughts captive. He says, you, you gotta take your thoughts captive and what you do is, is you make them submissive, or he uses the word obedient to Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, on the contrary, they have a divine power. He's talking about followers of Christ. I don't, I don't have a power, but there's a divine power within me, the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God within me. They have a divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He's talking about followers of Christ. And he says, listen, you're not in this on your own. This is not positive thinking. This is not self-improvement. Movement. This is the resurrection of the heart. And you have a divine power that will unroot, demolish these lies. These lies are strongholds. They're fortresses within your heart. And they've been locked in there for years. If you could have defeated them and could have overcome them, you would have done that by now. If you could have beaten your own addiction, if you could have fixed your own marriage, if you could have restored your relationship with your parents, if you could have overcome this deep insecurity, if you could have learned to operate on it, if you could have fixed yourself, you would have fixed yourself by now. Why do I always run against this one thing? Because it's a stronghold. And Paul says, you have within you, through the Holy Spirit, not through yourself, through the Holy Spirit and the work of God, a divine power that demolishes those things. It will root out everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's what lies do. They set themselves up against the knowledge of God. See, Here, here's an example. I believe that the key to happiness is getting rich. If I just had money, all of my problems go away. I can believe that lie, whether I believe it or not, I can sell my soul to that lie. And that lie sets up directly against the knowledge of God. God would say, it's not about how much money you have, it's about how greedy you are. And it's not, it's not about how much money you have, it's about who you think your provider is. So it's not about your bank account, it's about what drives you through life. Your job is not to get rich. Your wealth is my problem. Your job is to care for the poor, to make sure there's equality, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to make sure people's needs are provided, to, to give to the Lord so the church can do its work and to find contentment. Get rich, find contentment, 
are opposing life views. This sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Here's a lie that many of us believe. Here's one for you. Freedom is me doing whatever I want to do. So I'm going to smoke it, drink it, sleep with it, whatever it is I want to do, I'm going to do. That's what freedom is. And the scripture would say, actually, that's enslavement because it's sin. It will destroy you in the end. Freedom is found in submission to Christ. Submission is oppressive. Submission is freedom. That lie set itself up against the knowledge of God. It's going to work in the direct opposite. My value is found in my performance. Your value is found in who you've been adopted by. If you perform for men, you will distance yourself from your heavenly father. That lie set itself up against the knowledge of God. And Paul says, we have a divine power to expose it, to find it, and to demolish that stronghold. And the way that we access, so to say, or utilize, so to say, that divine power is we take captive every thought to make it obedient. When I start to go down the path of my lie, I grab that thought and I make it subject to the truth of God. That will not feel normal at first because we've lived in our lives so long that what feels normal is our lie. It feels the opposite. It, when, when I drift out, I, you know, I'm just going to do what I've always done. Grab the thought. What did God's word actually say? Let's operate off of this. But it feels weird. It's okay. But it takes longer than I thought. That's okay. But I thought, I thought it was going to be instant. Doesn't work that way. I'm going to grab it, make it captive and subject to God. I'm going to live with truth and live without my lie. And if the why is driven by my lie, the only way to have a different reality is to bring a different foundation into my life that I'm willing to live by. Guys, I think that is actually the hard part. I think the hardest part of all this is actually learning to live in the truth, right? It's easy to get excited about the truth. It's easy to hear God's word and to walk away and forget, forget what you look like in the mirror. It's, it's hard to do God's word because I can, I can get you hyped up about it, right? So if I can explain it well and make sense and give you hope of a different outcome, in these moments, you can be excited about that, right? Because it all makes sense and it's easy. It, it, it's like living healthy. If, if I talk to you about all the benefits of living a healthy lifestyle and all how, how if you exercise, you're gonna have more energy. And if you eat right, you're gonna have a clearer mind. And, and if you push these things out of your life and bring in all these vegetables, you're gonna feel 10 years younger. And you're going to be all hyped up about that. But when you sit down in front of that Donato's pizza, man, right? You're going to look and say, this feels like home. This feels like a reward. This, I'll start all that tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, 25 years later, see? So the hard part is not hearing it. The hard part is not even being exposed to the truth. The hard part is living it. 
And as I enact and as I, as I take hold of Jesus' teachings and I take my thoughts captive that want to talk me out of it and go back to my lies that actually work against the knowledge of God, demolishing strongholds is a violent process in our hearts. That is not pretty. It's difficult, see. But if I will allow God to do that, then what my reward is, is freedom. Let me give you some examples of this. Here's a lie that a bunch of us believe. I'm unworthy of devotions. A bunch, bunch of us believe that. I'm unworthy of devotion. Where'd that lie come from? I don't know, sometime about the time my dad walked out on me. That'll teach you that lie, right? When my friend betrayed me, when this person didn't react, who knows where you picked it up? But over the years, you can pick it up. I am unworthy of devotion. Nobody's been devoted to me. I'm not sure I can be devoted to anybody. In fact, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death of being married. I'm scared to death of having kids because every example of that relationship in my life is broken down in one way or another. I don't believe that I'm worthy of that. You can use me, you can abuse me, but I don't think you can be devoted to me. So I'm gonna live in relationships in which I'm used and abused and it's gonna be familiar to me and those cycles are gonna repeat themselves and repeat themselves and repeat themselves and repeat themselves. The lie surfaces because of the mirror, right? I'm gonna look and I say, what, what does the mirror say? Because I believe I'm unworthy of devotion. What does the mirror actually say to me as a, as a child of God about the heart and the mind of God? Well, the mirror might say this, for instance, Psalm 68, God is a father to the fatherless and God sets the lonely in families. Now, here's the temptation. That's what the mirror says. That's what God's word says. The temptation is to not humbly accept the word of God that's just been planted in you. Father to the fatherless, God's not a father to me. Yes, he is. I want a real father. You've got one. No, like a, a real father. You've got one. Well, that's not the kind of father I wanted. Well, we're not having that conversation. God is a father to the fatherless. It's not whether God is or isn't your father. It's whether you accept him as your father. He is that. That is the truth. That truth has to be taken hold of. See, I accept that God's my father what does my relationship with my father God look like and how does it work? That's a great question. That's a question that should be explored. See? It's not whether he is or isn't, he is. How does this relationship work? God sets the lonely in families. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. Well, I'm still single. What's that got to do with being a part of a family? Well, it's not what I wanted. Well, that's a different conversation. The lonely have families. Who's my family? Well, you're sitting with them. The metaphor God uses the most about the church is the metaphor of a family. It's a spiritual family. What is a life group? It's a spiritual family. What is a set of relationships that are Christ-centered? It's a spiritual family. What is a church? It's a spiritual family. Well, that's not the real family. Yes, it is. Well, I mean like a real family. It's a real family. 
Believe me, it's healthier than probably the one you got. <laughs> right? It's not whether it is or isn't. I'm taking hold of the truth. God says that it is. How do I function within my spiritual family? That's a great question. How do I navigate until I have that set of relationships that, where I'm closer than a brother to someone who I'm not biologically related to? That's a great question. The question isn't whether it's true or not. See, because it's true and you've discovered the truth. And because of the Holy Spirit within you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you even have the ability to figure it all out. But I must take hold of it. It's not a real family. Grab that. It's a lie. Make it subject to Christ, who, by the way, is your brother spiritually. And you have the same heavenly father. You are joint heirs. Jesus is your spiritual sibling. See how that works? I take hold. I capture it. I know the truth. And the truth sets me free. Instead of the cycle of my dad and my dad and my family and my mom and my brother and the betrayal. So that cycle, that stronghold is broken by truth. And I'm moving down a completely different path in my life and embracing help and healing and freedom that I would have never found on my own. Here's another. A lot of us believe that. You, you know why your marriage doesn't work well? Because you didn't get married in the church. That's why you're not happy like me, right? You know why your car won't start? Because you didn't tithe. If you tithed, your car wouldn't break down. Let me tell you from experience, that's not true. <laughs> I just tell you, <laughs> right? You know why? You know why good things happen in your life? Because you quit smoking. Whoa, wait a minute. All of God's love is conditional? Well, yeah, you get your act together. God gets his act together with you. Is that why 10 of the 11 remaining disciples died a martyr's death? That doesn't seem like a life full of prosperity and health. That doesn't remotely align with the scripture. It's not true. Does God's love have to be earned? What does the mirror say? The mirror says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you have to earn God's love? God gave his only son for you to save you from your sins and to give you a life of spiritual abundance, not physical abundance, spiritual abundance, he did that before your great, 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 great grandparents were even conceived. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, he knew you, loved you, and gave a son for you. You have to earn God's love? Or do you have to receive God's love? Is it already offered? Well, I thought you had to go to church. You had to, that's not why we go to church. Well, I thought you had to give money. That's not why we give money. We don't do it for, to earn God's favor. We do that from love, not for love. 
grab that thought and make it subject. How, how much would your spiritual walk with God change if you weren't afraid of him pulling the rug out from under you? How much would you operate from joy instead of obligation if you knew that no matter how good of a Christian you are or aren't, God still loved you, believed in you, and wants what's best for your life? How much would your perspective on trials change if you realize they were a blessing in your life and not a curse? God already loves you. It's not true. But I was taught, grab it. Take hold of this, make this subject obedient to Christ and you will be set free from that lie. Here's a huge one. My victimhood is my identity. My victimhood is my identity. Hi, my name is Jeff and I am... I'm an addict, I'm an abuse victim, I, I'm abandoned by my husband, I, I am, I am a, an orphan, I am, I am, I am, I am underprivileged, I am poor, I am, hi, my name's Jeff, and I am. And for many of us, what happened in our childhood or what happened as we were growing up defined us and we keep functioning in that definition. Somebody abused me, they hurt me, they abused my body when I was a child. And because I think of myself as a sexual abuse victim, I only interact with other human beings from that perspective. I don't see myself as valuable, I don't see myself as worthy, I don't see myself as a son or daughter of God. I see myself as somebody who should be used, that's what I'm used to doing. My victimhood defines me. Don't you see, Jeff? God loves me, but only because he has to. I might get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Maybe because I am just a... What does the mirror say? What's the reality of it? Maybe something like this, Romans 8. Knowing all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of Christ's love for us, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I am a conqueror, I'm an overcomer, I am victorious, I'm a son or a daughter of God, I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ, I am a royal priesthood, I'm a part of a chosen nation. I am not a victim. I was victimized, it's part of my story, but it is not my future, it's my past. It's what I was, it's not who I am, see? You take hold of it, grab the thought, it's not, I know I'm used to thinking it, but it's not true. Make it obedient to Christ, and the truth will set you free. I believe my lie most of my life and my lie kind of caught up with me when I was in my early 30s. So I was in ministry here and things here at the church had really started to pop. We started the church. Everybody, everybody said, you can't start a church that's focused on a 24-year-old male. And I was like, yes, you can. Watch and did it. <laughs> Thank you. And so I'm like, yeah, we'll just beat the system and we'll break all the odds. You don't know who you're dealing with. And God's got Jeff on his side, right? And so everything started to pop. My lie ricocheted on me. Things were rough at home. Parents were in a bad place. 
I was scared to death, like everybody would find out what Jeff was actually like. I'm like, this is going to like come out that I'm an idiot, don't really know what I'm doing most of the time, and it's all going to come crashing in on itself. And I actually love the Lord a lot, and so I was worried about how that would affect the kingdom of God. And I had reached my performance ceiling, and this was my thought, because I believed my lie. I thought, you know, I should probably get out of this while I'm ahead. Before everybody finds out that I'm, I'm not perfect, and before I screw something up, I should probably get out while, while I'm ahead. And, and I'll just get out of ministry, and I'll just turn the jets on a couple of Heidi and I's businesses, and I'll make some money, and I'll be, I'll be a committed, faithful, generous family in the church, like a lot of you are. Oh my God, just do that. But these lights and this stage and these cameras is like too much for me. I, I, need to, I need to get out of this before I mess it up. I went and I talked to a, a friend of mine, a mentor. By the way, this is where biblical community is huge. Your life groups are important for these reasons. Because in life groups and in spiritual friendships, what we do is we help each other see our lies and we help each other find God's truth. They're not social events, they're spiritual interactions. So I went to a friend that I have biblical community with, a Christian friend, and I sat down with him and I, he kinda, he's known me for a long time, we kinda knew my story. I sat down with him, I said, man, I think, I think I'm gonna get out. I, I told him everything. I was like, you know, I just, I can't keep this up. I can't keep this pace. I'm exhausted. It's affecting Heidi. It's affecting the kids. And the people are going to find out. They're going to leave anyways. And a bunch of people had just attacked me and left kind of hating my guts. And I'm like, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And I think I just need to get out of it. And I never forget the process that he walked me through. He kind of let me vomit all of my emotions on him for an hour or so. And then he looked at me. He said, Jeff, he goes, let me ask you some questions. I said, Okay. He said, does Christ love you? I said, yes. He said, do you believe that? And I said, you know, I actually do. I believe that to the depths of my soul. I actually do believe that. I said, okay. He said, were you called into ministry? because he knew my history, he knew the process that kind of took for me to get there. And I said, yeah, I think I was. I was. I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain that I, I didn't just start a business called a church. I'm, I'm certain that God called me into ministry to help people and to build a kingdom of God. I'm sure of it. He said, okay. He said, how are you saved? And I knew what he meant. How are you saved? I said, well, I said, I... You're saved by grace through faith. He says, so God saves you by his grace. Grace means unmerited favor. God saves you because he chose to save you. I said, yep, saved by grace through faith. He goes, do you think that same grace is how you were called? Does God call you by his grace? Does he call you to live for him because he chose to call you to live for him? I said, probably. He goes, let me ask you this question. He goes, did God know how screwed up you were when he called you in the ministry? I said, I hope so. <laughs> he said, of course he did. Did God know how messed up you were when he saved you? Of course he did. 
Did God know about all these insecurities? Did he know about your lies? Did he know about your weaknesses? Did he know about your pride? Did he, did he know it all? And did he choose to call you anyways? I said, yeah. He says, is it your church or God's church? It's God's church. Is he gonna defend it and protect it despite you? Yeah. He said, God know how screwed up you were when he brought Heidi to you? Gave his daughter to you? Did he know you were screwed up? Yep. What about those kids? Yep. And he said something to me. He said, Jeff, he said, rest in the grace of God. Of course you can't perform at these levels. You were never meant to. It's a lie. Rest in the grace of God. Love Christ, love his people. End of conversation. And God will defend and define and build his church how he chooses to. Listen, that truth set me free. Set me free. All the concerns about what people thought and who was mad and who wasn't, it set me free. I'm a different person because of it. Sometimes you might look at me and you might think, he didn't give a rip what we think. You are right. I don't care. I care what Christ thinks. I don't care what you think. I don't care what an enemy thinks. I don't care what my biggest fan thinks. Set me free. I'm not trying to impress my wife anymore. I'm trying to love her. My kids don't have to do what I want them to do. I just want them to know Christ. I don't care what they do. Free from it. And I gotta hold on because my old self goes back to what I knew for so long. I gotta hold on. I have the thoughts. Why'd they give that guy the plaque? Nobody look at my stats. I have the thoughts that to be made captive to Christ. I don't know, I think they like Ryan more than me. <laughs> and I know that's not true. You're welcome. <laughs> See how it works? Guys, if you want to be free, if your why is driven by your lie, okay, let God surface the lie. Look in the mirror. The mirror is the key to all of it. Hang on to the truth. Take the thoughts. It's going to be very intentional and weird at the beginning until it becomes an instinct. Take the thoughts captive. And you will be shocked when the divine power within you comes to bear on your stronghold. How it can be demolished. and the help and the healing and the freedom that God wants to give you. All right. Let me pray for a few minutes. And why don't you just 
be still. Don't, don't run around or anything like that. Just be still for a minute and, and ask God to show you. You know, it, maybe expose your lie. I don't know. Maybe you don't know what it is. All you know is that you're stuck in this cycle. So maybe ask the Holy Spirit to expose your lie. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring truth to bear. What does the mirror say? Right? Jesus, we need your help in all of this. We need your help and, and we need your power and thank you that both are freely available to us. And so God, as you expose the lies and you bring the truth to bear, give us humility. See ourselves for what we actually are and then you for who you actually are. God, grant us the freedom that you and you alone have the power to bring about. God, the lies in our relationships, the lies in our family, it's everywhere. And so, God, we submit ourselves to you. We make those thoughts obedient to you and ask that you break these strongholds and grant us freedom. You are who we say, you are who who you say that we are. We are a child of God. And you have called us, you've saved us, you've redeemed us. God, we want to live in that truth. Press into our hearts even now, Jesus, in your name.